Well, in all the messages on Moses that we've considered in this series, you know, we've looked at many situations that Moses faced and things he went through and experiences he had, but I, I want to look at some of his qualities as well, although we're going to look at an experience he went through to illustrate it. But, you know, some of the things he was known for, which made him great, and we've done that in part already, but there's really, there's one quality you can't overlook when considering his life. You know, when you're trying to understand what was he like and, you know, how are we supposed to look to him as a role model? Well, it's found in one of the stories we, we read earlier. I think we referred to it uh, the last time we uh, discussed his life. But I want to read this passage in Numbers 12, verses 2 through 8. So let's read that together. And so here is the backdrop. Here is uh, uh, the story of the brother and sister of Moses opposing him. And it said, you know, Aaron and Miriam, they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? And has he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. Now, the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. And the Lord spoke suddenly unto Moses and to Aaron and Miriam. And he said, come out from unto the tabernacle of the congregation. And the three came out and the Lord came down to the pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam. They came forth and the Lord spoke and said, here are my words, hear my words. Uh, if, if there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision. I'll speak to him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all my house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches. And the similitudes of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And so, you know, here's a situation where Moses is being opposed. And, you know, I think in reality, I see Moses as, trying to lead in a very difficult situation. I mean, God gave him one of the hardest jobs <laughs> there could be to do. You know, they were not the easiest people to lead. And I think he was trying to do his best, um, you know, with the people that weren't really listening. They kept failing the tests. And so, you know, he would preach to them and they, they sometimes they'd do the opposite and, and so forth. It was not an easy task. And here's Moses trying to intervene on their behalf. At one point, he's even offering his own life to be judged, right? If it would save his people, Lord, blot me out of your book. Uh, you know, that he would he was willing to take their judgment in their, in their place. And of course, the Lord responded in Exodus 32, 33. He said, well, whoever sins against me, him will I blot out of my book. Moses, you can't take that on yourself. But yet you see him as, as a servant, Trying to, trying to help these people, lead them in. And he's giving himself for the people. And I think he, he was kind of burning the candle at both ends, so to speak, right? He was allowing the people to appear for, before him all day long, trying to judge their, their matters and give wisdom and counsel. And then he was going before God and trying to you know, get answers from the presence of God. And I'm sure he was getting worn down at that. And Jethro has father-in-law saw that and said, Moses, you just can't continue doing that. And, and, you know, he advised him, 
bring people on board to help. And you know, Moses, he didn't try and hold on to that that place. I, I, in fact, I, I think he kind of gladly said, you mean people can help me? Bring them on board. You know, and, and that was probably a relief for him. But after all of that, you know, he's being criticized and opposed and not just by the people in the congregation, by his own brother and sister who were there to support him and to be a ministry of a prophetess and a high priest. But I think they really revealed what was in their heart in this. In, in verse 2, back in, in Numbers 12 and verse 2, they said, Has the Lord indeed only spoken by Moses? Hasn't he spoken by us as well? Haven't we had the word of the Lord? You know, don't, aren't we anointed? Moses, you're not better than us. You know, in fact, you're equal to us. In fact, you're our little brother. I don't know. That's not said in scripture, but it might have been said. I don't know. But really, but then it, it goes on to, to state two important things that the Lord heard it. The Lord heard it. And he was, he was not going to stay silent. He was going to respond to that. But also, it, a, a second response is a, a little sentence in parentheses. And that's verse 3, Numbers 12, 3. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. It's interesting to consider, I don't know if you've ever considered, how did that, how did this sentence get in here? How was this inserted? I, I find it hard to believe that Moses would have written this, or at least would, would have desired to write this. Maybe if the Holy the Spirit said, you will write this, thus saith the Lord, and Moses, he's meek, right? So he, he obeys. Uh, or perhaps the Lord inspired a, a scribe or a prophet later on in Israel's history to put that phrase in there to summarize Moses, to, to give us insight into his life. But it's very significant to us that Moses was meek above everyone upon the face of the earth. The Hebrew word anav, that's my attempt at saying it, it means to be poor or needy, humble, afflicted, meek. It's used about 26 times in the Old Testament. You know, and in those various words of meek, humble, meek is the most, but also as humble, poor, lowly, the lowly ones before the Lord. And so, you know, kind of considering this Old Testament word, there, there's quite a meaning just in this one word. Um, if, I, I think there's kind of like a double or triple meaning in, in this that speaks to us, that reveals some qualities that God admires and values. And there's two specifically that I wanted to relate to what Christ said in his Sermon on the Mount, because we, we talked about how the uh, the the definition of this word means poor or needy, as well as meek, right? And right, Jesus said in Matthew five three, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." And so there's that thought of being poor. You know, in the natural, the contrast between between someone who's poor and someone who's rich, 
uh, you know, it's not just numbers in an account. Really, it it's that the rich have options and they have resources to determine what they want to do, right? They can do things and they have the resources to do it themselves and to make their own determination. Whereas the poor are dependent. They're very much dependent on finding new resources day by day. And so, but the concept spiritually is, you know, the idea of being poor in the spirit is the thought of complete dependency that no matter what you possess in the natural, right? You're completely dependent upon the Lord for direction, for counsel, for provision, at least for God to direct you in what you're using provision for. And, and I think that this is something that's so pleasing to the Lord that draws his heart. And also it's the first beatitude, right? That's the one he started with that he shared in his sermon. And so for Moses, you know, I think, I think something was done in those years in the desert, those 40 years. We don't know exactly what happened other than he was just a shepherd in, in the wilderness. But I think a lot was worked in his heart, worked out and worked in. You know, I think a lot of that, or I, I th- it's almost safe to say all of that self-dependency was eradicated. Right? Any idea that he had what it takes to be a deliverer, was taken out and he became poor in his own estimation, in his own strength, in his own mind. And he realized how much he needed God. You know, David in the Psalms, you know, at which the Psalms were mostly written by King David, you know, inspired in part or whole. But you see the greatest number of these expressions of being poor and needy in the Psalms. Right? And, and so David understood this state of being poor, not in the natural, but in the spirit, right, of being needy for God, needing God, his presence, his anointing, his salvation. And he knew also that that drew the heart of God. In Psalm 12 and verse 5, it says, for the oppression of the poor and for the sighing of the needy, Now will I arise, says the Lord, and I will set him in safety from him that puffs at him. You know, being poor in spirit, there is an association with oppression, whether it's spiritual or natural. You know, it might be a situation where, uh, you know, those with pride are speaking against those who are poor in spirit. Of course, pride speaks about being number one and, you know, but the poor recognize Lord, you're my number one. You're my source. We're dependent totally on him. Of course, the enemy is led by the one who is the, has the most pride in the universe. And he's seeking to oppress those who submit to God and depend on him. And so there's an oppression. There's a pressure that comes against those who seek to be poor in spirit and be totally dependent upon God. You know, and and David is revealing the heart of God here and he's listening that God is listening from heaven and he hears the sigh of his people. You know, I'm sure we've all d- had situations that we've faced and maybe because of the pressure at times we give a big sigh. Oh. I've given a few of those. 
but it's a sigh with a message, <laughs> with meaning, right? It's, oh Lord, this is so difficult. Lord, that's so painful to hear this or to go through this, to experience this. Lord, what do I do? I don't have anything in myself to, to deal with this. Help, Lord, that kind of a sigh. It all kind of comes out. And God says, for the oppression of the poor and the sighing of the needy, I will arise. And we're looking for God to arise in our day, aren't we? But who does he arise for? It's those who are poor and needy in respect to his presence, his anointing, his guiding, his leading, his protection. Those who are willing to stay in that position of being poor and needy and dependent upon him, he will arise and it says, set them in a safe place, in safety. Another Psalm, Psalm 70 verse 5, where it says, but Lord, I'm poor and needy. Make haste unto me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer, O God. Do not tarry. And, you know, David was very rich. Right? That, that's, what, that's where we understand. He's talking in a spiritual sense. He had a lot of resources. He had a lot of options. He could have told people to go here, there, and everywhere. But he knew that wasn't the answer. His answer was, oh, Lord, I'm poor and needy. I have nothing unless you move, unless you intervene. Make haste. And so that's, that's, our, that's the cry of the poor. Lord, don't, do, don't slow walk this answer <laughs> to me. <laughs> Make haste. That's, a, that's a, a legitimate prayer to pray. Lord, hurry. I'm poor and needy. But, you know, it was that cry that, that tells us David, he chose to stay in that position of being completely dependent upon the Lord. Even when he made mistakes, that was his position. At least that was, I think, Somehow he was able to find his way back to that position. It became, that was his place of refuge. And I was just thinking about a, a story we don't always meditate on or dwell on, but it was the time when David was provoked to number Israel. Remember that story is kind of near the end of his reign. And, and you know, he's like, Joab, go out and number the people. And even Joab... His general was like, David, are you sure? I don't think this is a good idea. And David said, let it be so. Just go do it. Um, you know, numbering Israel without the Lord directing was, was not something that was allowed. Right? It, because it was the idea that, that God did not want Israel to depend on their numbers, but on the Lord to win their battles. And so God allowed David to be provoked by the enemy to make this census. And we know the story that David's heart smote him. He realized that he had made a mistake and committed a grave error. And then the Lord spoke to the prophet Gad to come in and gave David a choice and, it, and to offer him that choice of, of a consequence of this error. He said, it's either three years of famine, three months of being pursued by your enemies, or three days of pestilence. And David's reply has always stuck with me. In 1 Chronicles 21, 13, it said, David said to Gad, I am in a great strait. 
I'm in great trouble. And he, he caused his own trouble, even though we know he was provoked. But he said, let me now fall into the hand of the Lord, for great are his mercies. Let me not fall into the hands of man. You know, David was in error. He's about to be punished. You know, someone with pride would instantly resist. Like, I didn't do anything wrong. There's nothing wrong with knowing how many people are, you know, you got to know how many soldiers there are in order to command troops and know where to send them and so forth. But he instantly humbled himself. And his cry was, oh Lord, let me not fall into the hands of man. Let me fall into the hands of God for great are his mercies. I find it interesting that the Lord chose this moment in Israel's history to establish and consecrate the land for the temple. Don't you? Of all the moments he could have, you know, directed David, he could have done that when the ark was brought up and, you know, and established that. But at this moment, the, the land for the temple was set apart. And you know, the story goes is that the, the angel of the Lord was destroying, you know, through a plague for those three days. And the Lord commanded it to stop and then told David to go by the, the ground from Ornan the Jebusite, which was a threshing floor. That's a message in its own, that the temple site was a threshing floor. And there David builds an altar for the Lord and the Lord answers by fire from heaven. And the next thing David declares in, in 1 Chronicles 22, 1, it says, and David says, this is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of the burnt offering for Israel. And so it's, the, it's that thought of the, the pity, pitiable cry of the one who's poor in spirit that David and Moses demonstrated that, that lays the foundation for his house and his presence for the fire to come down from heaven. And so that thought of being poor in spirit is very important. But also, it's that thought of being meek. Because Jesus also said, blessed are the meek. You know, in its essential form, that's what Moses is known for. Right? That We know that it's translated different ways in different translations. We like the good old King James. Right, where he was the meekest man. But Pastor Bailey gives this definition for meekness as being manifested in a quiet and controlled spirit. It's not provoked. It does not pity itself, but rather it considers others and meekness relinquishes all rights. And so... As Moses is seeking to be faithful in all of God's house and just, you know, lead the people in the right way, he's challenged by his family. And what's his response? Well, Scripture records that there is no response, or at least it doesn't record a response. Um, he might have had words, uh, but we don't know. But the point is, he responded in meekness, which was no response. He didn't try to defend or justify himself. You know, he didn't puff up and say, look, who did God put in charge? Not you two. <laughs> he 
get out, <laughs> you know, or yeah, I'm going to demote you, <laughs> you know, put you, put you out of the camp. I mean, he had the authority to do that, but he stayed silent, you know, and so he didn't defend or try or justify himself. Instead, the Lord responded on his behalf. You know, there's only two people in scripture that are declared to be meek. It's Moses and Christ himself. And, you know, there's, there's other individuals that displayed meekness, the quality of meekness in their lives. But, you know, there's one thing you can observe about all of those who you can read this in their lives and say, you know, that person was meek. They had the, the qualities of meekness in their lives. But I don't think we would call any of them as being weak in character, right? Meekness is not weakness. In fact, you know, some people are weak in character in the sense that when they should be firm, they yield. And when they should yield, they're firm, right? And so there's kind of, there's flip-flopping. But true meekness is found in people who have strength of character, who've been purified so that the obstinate trait has, has been removed and then they can yield their strength to the lamb. And so meekness is not just, be, not just being quiet, right? Or not responding, but it's, it's a place, being at a place of controlled strength so we only respond according to God's direction, according to his spirit. So meekness is really that thought of, of self being removed, um, you know, self-fulfillment, self-reliance, self-vindication, and they're all destroyed. One commentator put it this way. They said, meekness can only grow upon the ruins of selfishness in all its forms. Meaning that, that meekness can only be built upon a foundation where selfishness has been totally destroyed eradicated because they they can't coexist and so focusing on self is the enemy of of meekness and it was as if moses time in the wilderness just stripped all the pride and self-reliance out of him so that he you know he wasn't willing to try and produce something or make something happen right to produce an outcome he just lord this it's in your hands and so he was determined, he was pro proclaimed as the meekest of all because he, he chose to totally just rely upon the mercy of God, the promises of God, that he was going to bring them to pass. I was just considering what else to bring out about meekness, you know, just some different thoughts about it that could be, you know, beneficial. But because there's a lot that we could say. But what was coming to me was the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Pharisee and the tax collector. And now I realize this is in regards to repentance and justification, you know, but there's a connection I think we can make with meekness. Now, the Pharisee came into the temple and he was praying, and, uh, but it was if it, kind of like he was like a peacock spreading his feathers in his prayer. Right, because he was really boasting how he was not like other sinners, and you know, not like this guy, the this tax collector or publican, as he's called, and you know, and, and all all my works of righteousness and so forth. That that those works made him better. And then the tax collector, 
he just smote his breast and said, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus closed the story with this, this statement in Luke 18 and verse 14. He says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. The one who justifi was justified was the one who was lowly. Now, the tax collector, he was kind of just discovering this place of, of lowliness through repentance. Right? As, Lord, I need to change. Cleanse me from sin and so forth. But the meek realize that they have to remain in this position no matter what the cost is. That this is the position the meek have to live in constantly. They know that even though they're strong in the Lord, one moment of doing things in their own strength or their own wisdom can cause destruction in their own lives and in the lives of other people. And so they're constantly saying, Lord, don't let me fall into the hands of man, even myself. Let me fall and stay in your hands of mercy. I don't want to respond in the wrong way or walk in the wrong way. That's true strength and meekness. And, and I'll just close with the thought of meekness here and the fruit of meekness. Because when you're considering meekness and what it produces in our life, there's actually a multitude of things we could consider. In fact, meekness, I think, produces an abundant crop of spiritual fruit. You know, we, think, we could think of Zephaniah, that meekness causes us to, to be hidden in the day of judgment. Right? And there's other things like the Lord guides the meek and he teaches them in his way, where the meek inherit the earth or how God dwells with the lowly and, and humble of heart. But there's, there's two I wanted to, to just focus on here as we close. And one was that, that answer that came to Aaron and Moses. God gave it after that declaration. Moses was the meekest man in all the earth. And, you know, one of the fruits of meekness is that the meek don't really defend themselves because they know they have a defender in heaven. God defends the meek. Psalm 76 and verse 9. It says, God is the one who arises to judgment to save all the meek of the earth. You know, Moses didn't try to defend himself or his reputation, but he did go away justified because God defended him. Because he gave space for the Lord to come on the scene and give the answer. And so God says, he's my servant who's been faithful in all my house, and I speak to him face to face. You know, and of course, when God gives his response, there's no response of man that can come against that because he's our defender. And, and when he comes on, to see, on the scene, it, it's up to him sometimes when he comes, right? That's in his timing. Sometimes to be truly justified, we have to wait till heaven. Right, for the true story to come out. But there will come a day when the meek will stand before him and they will be justified and they will inherit all. One last thought that I was just quickened with of the fruit of meekness is that the Lord satisfies the meek. 
The Lord satisfies the meek. Psalm 22 and verse 26. It says, The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. You know, the heart and the soul that is truly satisfied for all eternity is the one that has produced the fruit of meekness, of selflessness, of not responding, but willing to fall into the hands of God. God says they're going to eat, you know, kind of speaking of their, the fruit of their doings of meekness, they're going to eat and they're going to be satisfied. And their heart shall live in that for all eternity. And so as we look to Moses, you know, in that thought that he's the role model for the church of the last days, we realize the primary example that we're looking at is one of meekness in the entirety of the meaning of this word. Right? One who is poor in spirit, poor in our own strength, and able to fall into the hands of the one who is mighty to save, mighty to deliver, and stay in that position. Right? Meekness is one whose strength is fully yielded to the lamb because self-will has been eliminated, destroyed, at least brought to put on the cross anyway. And they're able to live in that position of dependency upon God. And the great and the wonderful fruit of meekness is that God will be our defender and he will satisfy us both now and in eternity. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you are meek and lowly of heart and you've invited us to put that same yoke upon ourselves to become like you and to follow the Lamb. Lord, we see this example in Moses and Lord, we just see that great need for meekness in our lives. Lord, we just cry out to you, Lord, that you would meet with us. Lord, we want to put ourselves in that position as, as Moses did, as David did, as many other, Lord, of being poor and needy and waiting upon you. Lord, we might have resources or options in the natural, but Lord, we forsake, we sell all of those to follow you, Lord, and get our, our source from you. Lord, we're looking to you and we're crying out, Lord, with the psalmist, Lord, make haste. Lord, we're poor and needy. Hear our cry, our sigh, and meet with us. And Lord, that you do that precious work in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, of meekness. Lord, put your spirit upon us. Oh God, that we would just follow the Lamb and be yielded to the Lamb and dwell in that place all of our days. Lord, and that we'd find our, our refuge and our response and our defense in the living God. Lord, produce that wonderful fruit of meekness and all the, the, the wonderful things that entails in our lives. And we thank you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.